This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler's New England Operations, and we're glad you could join us today. Ringler Radio is proud to ring in the new year with some interesting topics in the settlement industry. Uh, Our past shows have been key interest areas in the structured settlement industry and the legal community covering a wide range of issues, and I hope you've been able to listen to them. We, of course, are dealing with issues important to trial attorneys, defense attorneys, clients, uh, as well as people in the settlement industry. And you can find all of the Ringler Radio shows on our website at ringlerassociates.com or thelegaltalknetwork.com. Today we want to talk about the value of structured settlements uh, with the disabled community. And did you know that over 50 million Americans are currently disabled? You know, it's a very large constituency and one that we need to be in tune with to best suit their needs. Joining us today on the show to sift through the many of the many of these issues is uh, Andy Imperato, who's president and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities, the AAPD, or as Andy says sometimes they call it the AAPD, which is headquartered in Washington D.C. Andy is the first full-time president and chief executive officer of AAPD, which is an organization with more than 120,000 members. AAPD is the largest cross-disability membership organization in the U.S. Prior to to joining AAPD, uh, Andy was General Counsel and Director of Policy for the National Council on Disability, Advisor with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, Counsel to Senate Subcommittee on Disability Policy, and a Staff Attorney with the Disability Law Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he's an advisor on disability market and, and accessibility issues for a major corporations such as Microsoft, IBM, America Online, Verizon, and others. Uh, he's frequently called upon to write, speak, or provide testimony about disability issues. And most importantly to me, his perspective uh, is informed by his own experience with disability, uh, as Andy uh, currently has bipolar disorder. Andy, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be with you. That's quite an impressive uh, resume you have there, and I understand also last fall you were honored by the uh, the JCs as one of the ten outstanding young Americans. That was a real treat. I, with the ceremony was in Boston, so it was neat for me to go back to where I started my career and be able to get that honor and meet some of the other extraordinary people. That's an award that they've been doing since 1938. So it's gone to a lot of very interesting people. Well, that's that's great, and it's a, a real uh, feather in your cap. Uh, why don't we get specific uh, in a little while? But first, let's get us give us an overview of what the AAPD is all about. Sure, we were founded on the fifth anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the real idea is when the disability community comes together, we can accomplish extraordinary things like the ADA. But we don't always work together as effectively as we can. So the idea was to create an individual membership organization similar to the NAACP or AARP that could bring together the diverse constituencies that make up the disability community, including parents of children with disabilities and professionals who have an interest and support disability policy 
that that promotes uh, you know civil rights for people with disabilities. So we were founded in 1995, and our mission is political and economic empowerment. The way that we pursue that is through public policy advocacy. We have a nonpartisan voter registration and get out the vote effort. We have mentoring programs and leadership development programs, and we also are, participate in three different internship programs in D.C. where we bring college students with disabilities to Washington hmm. to work in different branches of the federal government. Hmm. Well, what, what do you think are the overriding issues uh, for disabled Americans as we move forward into 2006? Well, I, last year was an important year for our community. We we marked the 15th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the 30th anniversary of the special education law. And I think a lot of us are focused on, okay, we've we've got our strong civil rights platform here to build on, but we're not getting the kind of outcomes that a lot of us have been hoping for since before the ADA was passed. And particularly, employment is an area where, uh, based on the research that we have, there appears to have been no significant increases in employment for people with significant disabilities since the ADA was enacted. And that's an issue that we're trying to focus on at AAPD. What can we do to increase employment opportunities and remove barriers to employment that people with disabilities continue to face? Interesting. You know, interestingly, yesterday I was in Kentucky uh, dealing with a specific uh, case uh, involving uh, an individual with Williams syndrome, which is uh, similar in some ways to Down syndrome, and had a chance to uh, visit a, a facility that was a homeschool environment for the disabled, and it was quite uh, quite compelling to be there and to see the uh, the efforts of the staff and how committed they were to that and uh, and trying to get some of these folks into a position where they could be employed. So I'm sure that you're, uh, you, what you're doing, your organization, has been very helpful to all of them. Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I think the other thing to mention about 2006 is we're in a, a fiscal environment at the federal level where there are you know, significant efforts to cut back on programs like Medicaid. So at the same time that we have a proactive agenda to try to promote increased employment and better outcomes for people with disabilities, we're also trying to defend programs that are under the Budget Acts, and, and that's been a challenge. Well, you know, one of the things I want to do this morning is to really have you ha- give you the opportunity to share with the audience your personal experience living with this a disability. You know, it's quite a compelling story, and... Uh, I think the listeners will be quite interested in hearing it. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, your your uh, living with the disability that you have? Sure. Uh, I've, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder or manic depression when I was in my mid-20s. I had my first uh, episode of depression during my last semester of law school when I was in Boston. I was a visiting student at Harvard. And, uh, you know, my experience was I went v- relatively quickly from being kind of a cocky visiting law student to <laughs> having very little energy, very little self-confidence. It was difficult to get out of bed. Uh, and it happened, um, you know, within a matter of days for me, and it was very scary. And, I, you know, it really made me wonder, you know, am I going to be able to be successful as a lawyer? Am I going to be able to work? I mean, there was just a lot of questions that it raised for me, and I didn't really have a context for thinking about it, luckily I was able. To, I, I had recently been married. My wife was very supportive, and I was able to get some good, uh, you know, help at that key moment. And it, you know, over time, it settled into a pattern where I go about six months out of the year where I have a lot of energy, a lot of self-confidence, not a lot of patience, 
and then that's followed by six months where the energy goes down, the self-confidence goes down. And, you know, I, I would say that I've been very lucky that, uh, you know, as I was dealing with this new uh, condition, I was working in a field. I started out working at the in legal services, and then I worked at the Protection and Advocacy Agency in Boston, the Disability Law Center, and it kind of gave me a way to think about this condition. And originally, I just thought of it as something that was going to be a limitation, something that I, you know, was ashamed of, didn't really want to talk about. But working around other disability advocates and meeting leaders in the disability community in Massachusetts really helped me see that this could be a source of strength and connection to a client constituency, and and it didn't, it wasn't something that I needed to, uh, you know, be afraid to talk about. So I've been very open about it throughout my career, and it it seems to only have helped me. I, I find every time I give a speech you know, people come up to me and talk about either their personal experience or, or their loved ones. It's a very high incidence condition. Depression certainly is high incidence and bipolar seems to be a lot more high incidence just based on the you know, the number of people that have personal connections that I run into as I travel. But uh it's something that still society doesn't talk enough about and we don't have enough role models out there. So people, you know, like me when they're first experiencing depression you know, do they know that there are famous lawyers that have the condition? I remember when I told my mentor at Stanford, uh, Jerry Gunther, that I had bipolar disorder, his immediate reaction was, you're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> and he told me about how Learned Hand had the condition, and he had just written a biography of Learned Hand. But again, I think a lot of, you know, young adults, when they first experience these conditions, it, their world gets narrowed very quickly and oftentimes they don't know about the people that are out there that are, you know, having successful careers and are able to, you know, manage their conditions. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, you talk about this because in the past, you know, the, the mental disabilities versus the physical disabilities were, were more of a taboo, I think, in terms of people's uh, expressing uh, what it was all about. And today we're hearing about Abraham Lincoln perhaps having depression and others, uh, other people of, of fame. You know, from as a personal uh, statement, my my mom suffered from uh, the bipolar a uh, bipolar condition, and uh, I, I lived with that as a child with her, and uh, you know went through the early stages of of her treatment with with back then it was Thorazine, and and then ultimately into lithium, and uh, which which was a big big help in stabilizing. So I think some of the progressions of the medications and the treatments uh, are helping people uh, a lot better than they used to in the past. I think that's right, and I I also think that you know peer support can play a huge role. And I was lucky that I you know I was surrounded by a, a peer network of folks with various types of disabilities, including psychiatric disabilities, who you know helped me not let my disability you know artificially limit me in terms of what I wanted to achieve and do with my law degree. And I so I think it's not just a medical thing, but it's also finding the right support network for folks so that they can achieve and, and not kind of hold themselves back. Well, that that's exactly right. Thanks for sharing all that with us, uh, Andy, and that's uh, you know your personal story. Uh, but as you know, Ringler Associates now is a leader in the structured settlement industry. Let's switch gears and, and talk a bit about the value of structured settlements for the disabled. And uh, I'm sure you've had some uh, involvement with structured settlements, and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I one of the things when I talk about how we're trying to improve employment outcomes for people with disabilities, one of the things that I'm very interested in is looking at models for providing supports for people with disabilities that do not uh, punish them if they decide to pursue employment and bring in income and resources. 
And, you know, from my perspective, a structured settlement is a good example of a long-term support that somebody can have as a baseline for financial security, and then they can go and add to it by trying to work. Uh, they may work part-time initially. That may evolve into a full-time job. But those are the kinds of long-term supports that, from my perspective, we need to move towards in our public programs. Right now, in the public programs, you have to swear to the government that your disability prevents you from working in order to get in the door. And then for a lot of people, when they do go out and try to work, they find that they lose their health care or they lose their cash assistance, and it's hard to make up for that in the context of an entry-level job. So, you know, I'm attracted to the model because I think it's a way for people to get some security, but security that doesn't hold them back if they want to go back to school, if they want to build their human capital and ultimately have a career. And for many of us uh, who are in this business, we all understand as well, is as you've raised uh, the the specter of losing governmental benefits uh, when someone receives a, a settlement, whether it be structured or not, is is always there. So uh, the the concept of a special needs trust is often uh, in, is often introduced to help protect the uh, the benefits of the stru- of the settlement, the structured settlement, hopefully, and uh, and still preserve the governmental benefits so that that person can go on and and, and work and uh, and not lose those benefits. Yeah, and I guess my hope over time is that we can flip that where the government would actually encourage people to um, have other income streams beyond simply the government benefits because ultimately that's going to enable them to contribute more to their own support. I just I feel like we've got an all-or-nothing system that doesn't work well for beneficiaries, and it, it's, it seems to be oriented more around maintaining people rather than investing in people. And we're, we want to, to develop a new model where people get supports from the government, but they're encouraged to add to those supports from other sources and not penalized for doing that. Well, you know, it's, it's going to take ad- advocacy groups like yours to, to help promote that. In Congress, as you know, there's so many competing interests down there, and we've, we've, we've felt it ourselves. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we're all, we're all in this together, and I think uh, the National Structured Settlement Trade Association and uh, organizations like yours will continue to work towards uh, improving, improving those kinds of uh, results. Let's talk about, uh, you know, the real case example scenario where uh, a structured settlement can be critically important for someone who's disabled. You know, one of the things we have found is when there is a, a situation that, that gives rise to litigation and a settlement, uh, oftentimes uh, disabling the individual, whether it's a quadriplegia or, 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 or some other uh, type of injury, uh, the existence of that disability and that injury and that condition uh, allows that person to get a substandard age rating, to be able to get greater benefits for the, uh, for the amount of premium dollars that, that help settle the case, and provide, as you mentioned, this baseline of tax-free income out there. Uh, I, I have to imagine that, that the existence of a structured settlement has got to be a, uh, something that you look to, to to really help form, as you said, the foundation for the financial future of these people. Yeah, again, I'm very intrigued by that model. That model comes up in the context where there's liability around the person acquiring their disability, but I feel like it's a model that could work for folks who are born with disabilities and for folks who acquire disabilities in you know, ways that are, that don't have liability attached to them. To me, it's, it's a sound way to think about how can I plan over the course of my lifespan, what are my needs going to be, 
what kind of uh, you know supports can I build in on the front end, and then you know how can I adjust those supports over time in order to accomplish my goal. Hmm. Well, as I as we talked about the uh, the interest in Congress and the and the various competing uh, factors, there's new legislation pending right now that uh, we should probably discuss. Uh, it's sponsored by Senator Kennedy from Massachusetts, a Democrat, and Senator Mike DeWine from Ohio, who's a Republican. And the bill would create an insurance program for adults who become functionally disabled. Uh, my understanding is the measure would provide a cash benefit to help obtain services and supports in the community while providing individuals with disabilities more choices in their lives. And that's about as much as I know about it, Andy. Can you fill us in on the, more of the details, where the bill stands, and uh, what its uh, chances of success are? Sure. This is a, a new piece of legislation that was just introduced towards the end of the last uh, session of Congress, and I'm very excited about it. Senator Kennedy has a long history of really being an innovator and a leader in the disability area, and uh, the bill is called the CLASS Act. That's the, uh, the acronym, but it stands for Community Living Attendance Services and Supports Act. And there's an effort underway right now to get, uh, you know, it, it introduced in a bipartisan way on the House side as well. I know Congressman Dingell is interested, and um, they're talking to a number of Republican members on the House side. But one of the things I like about it is it basically creates an incentive for everybody to save. Uh, to help them be prepared for the onset of a disability at some point during their working lives. So the idea is from the moment you start working, you have a voluntary contribution that you make, similar to Medicare, um, where uh, uh, it'd be like $8 a paycheck would come out of your paycheck and go into a fund. And then if and when you get into a situation where you need help with long-term you know, activities of daily living, things like that, you could tap this fund, this centralized fund, and you would decide how to spend the money. So depending on your priorities and your needs, you might spend the money to hire uh, an attendant at home. Uh, you may prefer an assisted living situation or whatever works for you. But the idea is you would have cash supports that then you could go out and spend to address your long-term care needs. Hmm. And, and how does that all interact with the, the whole uh, Medicare environment? Well, I think that the concept is that this is a benefit that people, it's kind of like the structured settlement in the sense that this this is something that people could tap and use before they touch any of the public programs. Mm. So they may find that they need to also go on to SSDI and get Medicare to help provide some of the support. But as you know, Medicare really doesn't pay for a lot of long-term care-related right. needs. Medicare is more of an acute care orientation. Medicaid is really the program that, that people rely on to help pay for long-term care. But this would enable people to get supports before they have to get down to the poverty level, which they would need to be at to qualify for Medicaid. So again, from my perspective, it's a way for people to get supports and still try to stay as active as possible, including work, if that's a possibility for people. Well, it's going to be uh, an interesting fight in, in, in Congress, as you know, and uh to the extent that people want to support this bill or help, what's the reference? How do people reference this bill? Does it have? Well, a... again, it's called the Class Act. It does have a, a bill number in the Senate. It's S nineteen fifty one. Senator Kennedy and Senator Dewine are the lead sponsors mm -hmm. in the Senate, and you know there's there's a summary of the bill on AAPD's website, which is at aapd.com. Uh, Senator Kennedy has information about it on his website. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's something that is new and that I think is going to be getting a lot more attention. I, I have the understanding that Robert Pear from the New York Times is going to be writing a piece about it sometime in the next couple of weeks. So that's another place where people can get more information. But I'm excited about it. It's a new model. And again, to me, one of the good things about it is it, it encourages people to take some personal responsibility and yeah. start saving for the onset of a disability. And it takes some pressure off programs like Medicaid, which you know are under the budget acts, both at the national level and at the state level. Well, we'll be looking uh, closely to see how it how it works and uh, if it if it succeeds, and we'll be we'll be rooting for you. Let's take a short break right now and continue our discussion with Andy Imperato, President and CEO of American Association of People with Disabilities. We'll be right back. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the last 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio and Legal Talk Network shows to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MedLife, and Pacific Life and Annuity. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you joined us. We're talking today about issues important to disabled clients that we all can learn more about. And today we have been learning about them from President and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities, Andy Imperato. And Andy, uh, I wanted to thank you for helping me with the, with the pronunciation of your name. Andy, Andy mentioned to me that his name rhymes with desperado. So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting to me. Let's talk a bit about support and services in the community for disabled people right now. What's out there? Tell our listeners what's available uh, for the disabled uh, as we speak. Well, you know, the, uh, right now a lot of services are organized around disability categories, and you know, the, the services that I find sometimes can be the most life transforming are ones where the people providing the services are disabled themselves, and you really, I, I can't overemphasize the importance of peer support for folks as they're trying to adjust to life with a disability. And one of the great peer support networks that is federally funded and, and has a presence around the country is the Independent Living Centers. These are, are uh, nonprofits that are run by people with disabilities, staffed by people with disabilities and funded by the federal government and in some cases by by the state governments and um you know it, it when i got started it was working with groups like the boston center for independent living that really helped me recognize the value of peer support and the the positive uh, potential for people with disabilities to be involved not just in addressing their own needs but working together to address you know, the broader needs in society, getting involved with advocacy and public policy and things like that. So, you know, I wanted to make a plug for the Independent Living Network. Mm -hmm. if, if folks 
um, are interested in finding out where an independent living center is near where they live, uh, one good web resource where you can identify all the independent living centers is uh, ILRU.org. That stands for Independent Living Resource Utilization. Org. And again, that's a federally funded program that's run out of the Institute on Rehabilitation Research at uh, Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. But they have a good comprehensive website that lists all the independent living centers around the country. Well, you're the leader, and we understand you're the leader in the advocacy area, but uh, who else is ad- advocating uh, for the disabled right now that, that you partner with or you, you, you associate with as you fight this fight? Well, as you can imagine, there are a lot of groups that have a presence in Washington uh, and around the country. That the group, the independent living centers, are represented in Washington by the National Council on Independent Living, which is a very important partner for APD. We also work with a very broad coalition called the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities in D.C., uh, and there are large service providers in that group, like Easter Seals, the Ark of the United States, United Cerebral Palsy. Paralyzed Veterans of America, American Council of the Blind, uh, National Association of the Deaf. I mean, we we really do try to work with a very diverse uh, group of organizations, and we come together around different policy issues that affect the broader community, like health policy or technology policy or transportation, housing. You name it, there's a disability angle to it. So we need lots of partners we're also part of a broader civil rights coalition called the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. We're one of two disability organizations that are represented on the executive committee of that group. And, and there are a lot of issues like the current uh, Judge Alito confirmation hearing where we end up working with the broader civil rights coalition to try to call attention to the civil rights issues at stake. Mm-hmm. Well, where can our listeners get more information on, on you folks, on the AAPD specifically? I'm, uh, I think you mentioned your website earlier. Why don't you give us give us that again and sure. any other it's numbers just, or, or addresses uh, AAP, that are important? AAPD.com, and the reason we're not .org is the American uh, Association of Pediatric Dentists got that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, we also uh, have an 800 number if people don't have access to the Internet and want to get more information. They can call uh, 1-800-884-8844. And... Um, AAPD is a, uh, we're based in Washington, D.C., and we find that um, it's good if people do have access to the Internet to start just by going to our website because we've got a lot of good information on there. One of the free resources that we provide that's also a good way for people to kind of keep in touch with what's happening in Washington around disability policy is we have a listserv and it, it, at our website it, it has information about how you can sign up for the listserv. It's called Justice for All. We have all the posts from that listserv archived as well on our website, so that's a good re- research tool. People can search for particular topics and see what we've sent out on those topics. Um, but again, it, all that information is on our website at aapd.com. Right. Well, you know, we're in the structured settlement industry, and, and you know, we have our own agendas from time to time, but oftentimes we partner with the disabled community to make sure that uh, the tax-free nature of this product uh, stays intact, and we talk to the folks in Congress as well uh, with you folks right by our side. So we want to thank you for that. And also, uh, you know, your advocacy for the disabled is to be commended for sure, and uh, this legislation that we talked about, uh, those kinds of issues are important for all of us to get involved in. So thanks again, Andy, for being with us, and... Uh, and thank thank you for uh, participating. 
Well, thank you, and I just want to say we really appreciate the relationship we have with the National Structured Settlement Trade Association and with you know, com- companies like the one that you work for. From our perspective, the broader we can define our constituency, the more power we're going to have. Terrific. Thanks again, and uh, for all you in the audience, remember you can reach uh, anyone, any of us at Ringler at ringlerassociates.com, and of course uh, we encourage you to download this particular program and, uh, and hear it again and again. All right, so thanks. Until next time, this is Larry Cohen for Ringler Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuities.